Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Guy Adami here. Tuesday, September 13th. Yeah, it is. I'm G-Swizz. That's Dan Nathan. Dan, that's a lovely backdrop you have going there out there in the C-A-L, yeah. as they say. Uh, it's market call. It's 1 o'clock Eastern time, which means it's 10 o'clock out there in the West Coast. So you're up early. You're doing your thing. Um yeah. We're going to put in 30 minutes on the clock because why not? Today's market call is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Dan, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. We're powered by open exchange. I'm powered with the thought that the Giants, for the first time, are starting the season on the right side of the ledger. One win, zero defeats for the first time, I believe, in six years. Wow. Hope springs eternal. And then all of a sudden, Dan, you look at the schedule and say, well, wait a second. They got Carolina. They got Dallas. These are winnable games. I mean, we might be looking at a 4-0 Giant team in week five, but I'm getting ahead of myself. You are getting way, you know, getting you're getting, way getting ahead of yourself, and I'm very happy for your Giants. It was a gutsy gutsy call late in the game, and I will tell you, without Dak, these these Cowboys, they looked horrible with them. They're going to look horrible mm. without them, and I think you guys, maybe maybe the NFC East is yours. All right, let's well, do let, Let's not get crazy. All right, but let's I, not get crazy. I like with you. By the way, it's, it's great to have you. We, you know, yesterday, Carter and I waxed poetic. Yeah. Um, we had a good conversation, and I'm looking forward to this now 28 minutes with you because, obviously, so much has changed yeah. in the last 24 hours. Well, it, it's interesting. You know, Guy, I think a lot of us felt like that all the, the data, the inputs that we were getting about inflationary pressures, what at least had peaked. And again, we know that that 9% CPI that we had a couple months ago wasn't likely to get much greater than that. The fact that the number and, and the, some of the core components of it are not really showing, you know, the sorts of declines that I think a lot of economists or a lot of bulls in the, in the market would like to see, you know, the fact that it was like that, we have a chart just really quickly look at this S&P 500 chart of the futures you know over, over the last 3 days here you know this was a as they say an escalator up elevator down guy i mean the fact that it was that quick of a knee jerk you know what i mean that it just shows you that everyone was either hoping right that we would have you know cooler data that gives the fed the cover right to do 75 basis point uh you know at the september meeting next week but now if you look at the CME fed watch tool it's 
pricing in obviously a very strong chance, you know, 80% or so of 75 basis points. So that's near a certainty. And then the other 20% is basically saying maybe we get 1%. And yeah. look at the look at the hot take machine guy. And I'm gonna just throw this up there. We love quoting all these people. Liz Young, Carl, our main man Alf. Uh, there's Joe Weedens all there. There's Ryan Dietrich. And look who we look at Amanda snuck in there. Your hot take. After the CPI, <laughs> look what she did. All right, so let's let's talk about this because I, I think a lot of people were hoping for cooler data. That a lot of bulls were positioned that way. What is your take right here? Well, it, what I find really interesting is this number came in hotter than expected with energy prices cascading lower. So what okay. does that really mean? Well, obviously, I mean healthcare inflation is through the roof. Food inflation is crazy. Obviously, shelter. However, you want to define that through the roof. We're finally starting to see some commensurate wage inflation. And my concern is, you know, we've cut our SPR in half effectively, strategic yeah. petroleum reserve. And what's going to happen if we have to sort of go back to that and sort of restock? I mean, there are a lot of things out there that are concerning. I'll say this. All this really does to me is emphasizes and sort of reinforces my belief that although 9.1, at least we better hope, was the high print, you said it. It's going to be persistent and pesky, and more and more people are coming around to that way of thinking. You can discount it all you want. A lot of people out there are trying to do it. This is a very difficult dragon to slay, and I think the Fed's doing the right thing in staying steadfast in their want to yeah. slay it. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, you, you've been saying this for a very, very long time. When the Fed years ago wanted to get inflation up to their 2% target, you used to say on Fast Money, I think probably, uh, you know, every week, careful what you wish for, because you were saying that they don't measure inflation properly. And now they still don't measure it properly, but we're having high single digits readings that are kind of freaking a lot of, I, I think, you know, I mean, it's it's not just consumers here. And there's been a lot of data about the consumer, about savings rates and, you know, all that stuff coming down and, and um, obviously debt levels going up here. But it's also the uncertainty for corporates. And that's where you and I start thinking a little bit about the S&P 500. And we tried to translate it into markets. And I know we've been tracking this S&P uh, 500 chart. We're looking at the futures today. We're looking at through the lens of futures mm -hmm. as this is CME day. And guy, you know, that series of lower highs, right? And then we had a series of higher lows recently. I know that you had Carter on yesterday and you guys have been talking about this. You know, the fact that we can take out almost the whole bounce, right, off of that intermediate term uptrend guy in one fell swoop and the day's not over. You know, you and I are sitting here staring at our fact set machine and, you know, the futures are down 3% of the S&P and the NASDAQ. We're going to hit the NASDAQ later, guy. I just really wanted to focus on the S&P here. Um, you know, the fact, if we go through that uptrend, I mean, we got some problems here. And then it brings us back to this chart from the start of 2020 that you and I have talked a lot about is that pre-pandemic high just above 3,400 and then very near that 3,630, you know, low that we made in June. I mean, we go through the lows just from a couple weeks ago. We're going back to 3,600 and then we have to start talking about valuations again. The symmetry makes sense. I mean, 3,400, you illustrated that that's that lower horizontal line if you're looking at it. Um, that's where we theoretically should get to. And we've done the math to get you there. And there are a lot of people, again, coming around to that way of thinking. Um, we've had people on recently on CNBC talking about a 20 to 30% decline in the month of October. I mean, we'll see if it gets there. On the flip side, as we mentioned yesterday, you have people thinking that 5,100 is in the cards. So, um, yeah. We'll see. 
I think you know where I. I mean, you we, guys we had you and you and Carter that. had a great conversation on that yesterday. Yeah. I really do. I, I, I be, the, between you know the Bulls and the Bears and how far they are apart. I mean, the fact that you have you know some very well thought of strategists that are two thousand points mm-hmm. apart on a four thousand index is crazy. You yeah, know what I mean? Crazy. When you think about that, hey guys, check out this tweet right here. And I think this is something that you've been talking about, not just because of technical levels, your targets on the S and P five hundred, but valuation levels. And talking about the sorts of, um, I guess, the multiple that you want to put on S&P earnings. And this is a tweet from this morning from Mike Zaccardi. He is a CFA and he's a CMT guy. Sure. Do, you have, do you have any letters that start with C that come after your name? Yes, but none that I can say in mixed company. All right, but fair enough. Okay, all right, but 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 here's the thing, and I just want to look <laughs> to the doubt. Da- so so basically, consensus estimates for this year for S and P earnings right now, guy, are uh, two hundred forty three dollars. That's up seven yeah, percent year over year. Happening. Okay, so but if you look at that, okay, at two forty three, if you want to put a sixteen multiple on it, that it gets you to thirty nine hundred. That's basically a little below where we are right here. But if you say no way. Let's say we come in at $234. That's up 3%. That's still pretty high. You want to put a 16 multiple, that gets you 3,800. On the downside, 13 times gets you 3,100. The reason I bring all that up is, do you think when the S&P 500 bottoms in whatever cycle that we are in, that we will bottom at the current multiple, which is 16 and a half, 17 times. I think trough, like like bottoms have been for the S&P in like mid to low uh, teens, you know what I mean? Like multiple. So that like that's just a little exercise here. I'm you just curious your thoughts. Well. So the answer is no, it won't trough at a, at a historic market multiple. It'll trough at something extended to the downside yeah. and somewhere probably along the lines of 14, 14 and a half, 15, let's just say. I mean, I don't think we can get ourselves, I don't foresee us getting in an environment where we're much lower than that in terms of a multiple. Again, it's just a question of what you're multiplying that with. Is it 200 or 220? Obviously, that changes the equation a little bit. Listen, I think 240-something is a pipe dream in this environment. And what's interesting, if you listen, and I don't want to get too far off the rails here, but if you listen to the networks, all they seem to talk about is the fact that the Fed has this market in their collective hands. And there's some truth to that. You know what else does, though? And you've brought this up a number of times. Danny Moses does as well. Earnings. Earnings matter. And the environment that we find ourselves is not positive for earnings. Earnings are going lower. They should go lower in a slowing environment. Nobody seems to take that into consideration. You know, they look at these numbers as sort of one-offs and say, okay, the market has to go lower because CPI came in hotter. And I understand that knee-jerk, but the flip side of that coin is, well, wait a second. What are we looking at here in terms of the market? And it's a slowing economy. I think we all agree with that. Stands to reason uh, earnings should slow, and it stands to reason you should pay less for those earnings. All those things make sense. They do make sense. And and again, I mean, I think that when you have a few days like we had where it was just straight up in the market like that, you know, you start thinking twice about, wait, do I have my thesis correct? Am I attaching all of the dots correctly a little bit? Because, you know, in my mind, I was like saying to myself, okay, maybe there's a scenario where things cool out a little bit in Ukraine. And maybe the fact that energy prices have come down a lot. There was an article in Bloomberg this morning talking about how Europe might have fixed their, you know, winter, you know what I mean? 
like 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 concerns about uh, you know uh, natural gas, and you start saying to yourself, oh, maybe the Chinese are looking at you know the Russians getting defeated. Let's say that, that's how it ends up. You know, maybe they don't act. There's a lot of scenarios, and you could say, okay, well then China starts to stimulate again. You know, Europe is going to stimulate a lot. The U.S. is an okay situation right here. They've actually normalized rates. You've been saying this for a long time. You were dying for them to normalize rates, right? They were leaving way too low for way too long. Yeah, and listen, there's so much to dissect there. I'll say this. All those things that you just said, that's absolutely best case scenario. And I listen, it could all those things could happen. But just because that's our want to do, the other side of that yeah. is a Vladimir Putin feels like he's being backed into a corner. And that's somebody that historically has talked about uh, what they do when backed into a corner. He's going to lash out. Who's he going to lash out at? I don't know. Uh, is it another NATO uh, country? Possibly. And that escalates the situation. Yeah, China sees what's going on. But, you know, China plays the long game as well. And they see a potentially vulnerable United States. They're not going to do anything to help us here. And the energy yeah. concerns that you talked about in Europe, although seemingly mitigated, are not going away anytime soon. So all the things that you brought up, there is a counter to that, as you know. That's what makes markets, as they say. So I just don't think we're in the sweet spot in terms of earnings. So all you Goldilocks people, which makes me freaking crazy when people say that on air, I want to scream. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might want you might want to put your porridge away for another day. Have well, you ever had well, porridge, by the way? I don't think I ever have. Well, as a kid, probably. Back in the day, there was that stuff, that really soupy stuff that they used to serve you kind of hot. What was it? It was not oatmeal, but it was something like that. Farina That's kind of like a something. porridge. Yeah, it used to come in like a little packet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that sort of thing back in the 70s. You remember the 70s, guy. Yeah, it was, well, I, was, I, I do remember the 70s finally. At my 50th birthday, we had a ball. So. Yeah. Well, here, here's the one thing I, I would say about this as it relates to earnings and as it relates to, to confidence, both consumer and corporate confidence. Is like when you see a print like this and you see the stock market reverse as hard as it does. You know, look at like Apple. These are some of the biggest stocks in the market, down 4.5% today. Microsoft down 4%. I mean, these are huge, huge moves in market cap terms. And what it does, I think, with about two weeks left in the quarter, it basically, you know, a lot of these C-level suites, they've got their, their powwow and they're looking to see how the quarter's going to end here. We're going to talk about the dollar in a second here. And they're saying, listen, are we going to have rose-colored glasses on? When, are we going to try to be cautiously optimistic? Or do we basically just give market participants what they want in a way? And what they want is just to kitchen sink this stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? And I don't mean like come out and just guide down for 2023, but maybe just literally wipe the slate for the balance of this year when you give guys, you, you know, you, you basically report a miss, you don't pull forward anything, and you guide down, and that's the sort of thing that gets in estimates, I think, in whack. And then what analysts and strategists start doing is they start basically taking their 2023 numbers down. Until expectations come down meaningfully in this environment where no visibility and a surging dollar and surging rates and, you know, energy, you know, access to energy really uncertain, I just don't know how, you know, there's any confidence in the current estimates. So to your point, when I asked you, what do you think of that consensus at 234 uh, in earnings for S&P 500, you said not happening. Yeah. I, right. it's not, listen, you know, people say you want it to go. No, I don't want anything, but I want there to be a you want rationale to be important again and you said something interesting you always say things interesting but what you said about you know the market as it was rallying over the last week and a half two weeks challenged your thesis right i mean absolutely price has a way of doing that to us all but nothing changed in terms of the thesis right the the arguments that we made didn't change the only thing that changed was the market and you're forced obviously to recalibrate and reconsider but 
you know, one thing I've been saying for a while is this Fed has been very, they've been steadfast in what they're trying to accomplish here. And the flip side of that coin, as we mentioned, is a slowing growth environment. I said the market seems to be looking at something else. I think they're doing it incorrectly. And at least for today, that is playing out. All right, let's let's look at rates here because it's obviously you know one of the biggest movers. Um, and last week we said you know that two year Treasury yield looked like it wanted to party, get above three and a half. It's basically three and a quarter. Um, walk us through the ten year, the twos, and why you could see maybe the ten not break out, the twos continue to go higher, and what that means because a further widening yield curve is not really great for those who think we're going to avoid a soft or a hard landing. Um, and you know it doesn't suggest that we're going to hit it. A recession either well i'm going to say something and, and it's not going to sort of make any sense but i think the market has it wrong in terms of where 10-year yields are now you say what do you mean the market has it wrong well the market is what it is price is truth and when i say that the only way you can base decisions the only thing you can gauge your decisions off of is where things are currently trading right you have a different outlook for things based on where they are that's why i say price is truth so the fact that 10-year yields are where they are are interesting to me, but I think it's somewhat misguided. Two-year yields, on the other hand, make a whole hell of a lot of sense. And I could come up with a scenario where two-year yields go to 5% or so within the next six to nine months. It makes sense if you think about where inflation is and where two-year yields should be based on that, understanding that inflation will mitigate at a certain point. But they got to meet at a certain level and 5% makes sense. But 10-year yields trading where they are, you know, people will say that's a great sign. It means the economy. No, it's not a great sign. It's got nothing to do with how the economy is doing. Yields are going higher because of inflation is effectively out of control. So we have said it. Danny Moses said it. You've said it. This is we find ourselves in an environment where rates going higher is a negative thing. And quite frankly, if tenure yields were to stop here and go back down, that's probably not a particularly good thing because I think that's the tenure saying, well, wait a second. The economy is not that strong. And to your point, I think this means the yield curve widens, negatively widens, but we'll see how it plays out. Guy, the last time that the two-year U.S. Treasury yield was above 5% was basically 05, 06. And the S&P 500, I mean, was, you Different know, 16, 1600. Okay. Like, it's just, it just crazy to think. And listen, I know the economy and globalization and, all, you know, all companies are very different now. But again, you get my point, right? No, I so, do. But, I, but, uh, but the point back is the math suggests historically, you know, when you look at where inflation is and where two-year yields should be based on that, that, it's still, everything is out of whack. And so when I say yeah. the Fed is three and a half years behind the curve, I'm not just saying that the I'm not just doing this type of stuff licking yeah. my finger. I mean it's there's actually math behind it. I actually did take the math for well, a couple of days in college. Well, you've actually been saying it um, for many years, as I know, because I sat next to you on CNBC's Fast Money for many of those years. All right, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, so so just to, just to put a button on that, I mean, so you and I both think that the S&P is very vulnerable. We think that we go back and retest those June lows just above 3,600. We think there's a really good chance that a 3,400 test is in the offing, maybe not in a straight line. You and I are not suggesting that the stock market crashes, but let me tell you, based on what we just saw, 
what we just talked about in yields, if you do see a surging two-year that's telling you that the Fed is not letting up right on inflation, it's also telling you that if the 10-year doesn't kind of keep pace, that, that inverted yield curve, which is going to get wider, that's a suggestion going back to what you just mentioned or you described as a stagflationary environment, okay? And then the backdrop of all that is that we have a U.S. dollar that just won't quit. You know, you know, we talked about it with with uh, Carter over the last you know few weeks. We thought we'd get a pullback towards this up trend that's been in place, you know, for the better part of this year. You see a move like this in the U.S. dollar index guy off of one print like that. What does it say to you that we're not the, this thing's not collapsing anytime soon? Well, there's, you know, the great Eddie Murphy, uh, as you know, Dan, he was not only a great actor, a great comedian, he was a great vocalist as well. And, and one of the great songs in the history of rock and roll, of course, is My Girl Wants to Party All the Time. And <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what your girl in the form of the U.S. dollar, in this case the DXY, is doing. And the fact that we continue to sort of sell off, test that uptrend line, that's a really healthy thing. And we had that conversation. The latest move to the downside was basically predicated on two things. The hope that this CPI number would come in softer than expected, one. And the fact that the ECB pulled the trigger on a 75 basis point hike, two. Both of them obviously negative for the dollar, and you saw the commensurate move. But now here we are, the market saying, well, wait a second, this uptrend is still intact, which I believe the dollar is going to continue to go higher, which, by the way, alleviates some of the inflation pressures from the everyday citizenry of this country. Obviously, a high dollar helps your buying power, but nowhere near uh, what it needs to do in terms of sort of offsetting. So here we are. And as you know, uh, a stronger dollar is not great for the broader market, and it's certainly not great for emerging markets, and it has extraordinary negative trickle-down effects. Yeah, just a quick one on the on the trickle-down effects. Um, Doug Cass on his, uh, first of all, he writes at Real Money, and we talk to Doug um, a lot. Uh, you know, we go back and forth, and, you know, he's laid out um, this morning a really clear case why he thinks stocks are fully valued. And I got to say this, and you know this because we've talked to Doug. Doug is not one of those perma bears. He's no. one of those guys who really likes to do um, the second level thinking. And he has been bullish on different times as you were this summer. I mean, that's the one thing I love, Guy, is that, you know, people who want to cherry pick comments, this and that or whatever. I mean, literally, you and I talk every day about the markets, right? You tweet every day about the markets. It's all there here. You were calling for a big rally. We got a big rally. You know, I know Doug was positioned bullish over the course of the summer. I bought a bunch of tech stocks in May and June or whatever. The fact that we're bearish now, it really doesn't have much to do. To me, I don't do the valuation work that Doug does. It really has to do with like what we're just seeing about the prospects for earnings. You know what I mean? When you think about it, and they just don't look particularly good. And we just gave two really big reasons, rates going higher, dollars surging, and then obviously um, what's going on um, with commodities. But let's, let's kind of Let's move it from the dollar to crude. And this is oh, one that we've spent oh. a lot of time on. You and I are not going to figure it out. You mentioned the SPR. You know, I was uh, speaking to Porter Collins last night, who's been on our On the Tape podcast, who will be on with Danny Moses, myself, um, and his partner, Vinny uh, Daniels. Um, we're going to be dropping that pod on Friday, so check it out on On the Tape. But he was saying that by the first week of December, guy, that um, – 
the SPR will be done. I mean, it will be like empty, you know, that sort of thing. And so you just brought up the point that that creates some problems. Maybe if crude's much lower, it actually creates a bid for it, right? So maybe that's one way to say, well, we're not going to see low 60s the way we did late last year after they announced the tapping. Talk to us about crude because just on the chart here, it is really at a very important level. It's the uptrend from, you know, that late 2020 level. You attach it to late last year. We just bounced off of it. You see that breakout level, you know, in and around that kind of 85, 86 level. This is a really important chart, I think, from a macro standpoint. Well, first of all, I mean, this is one I've gotten dead wrong because I will tell you back in the spring, you know, we thought this crude would explode to the upside. That happened. The pullback made sense. We talked about it. The subsequent rally I expected, but I also expected it to make new highs. It didn't. So this last, I don't know, call it four or five months has had me scratching my head. Now I understand what's going on. I think the commodity is basically trading off of two things. Obviously, a stronger dollar creates headwinds for commodities in general, uh, and oil is one of those things. But I also think the market is front-running, and maybe correctly, Dan, um, a lower demand equation. Now, the problem with that is we haven't seen demand destruction yet. So we're still talking about demand that is sort of pre-COVID levels, pre-COVID highs. So that demand destruction hasn't happened, but maybe it's just a matter of time. So that's, I think, the rub here. If you think demand destruction is coming, crude's a $65 item, as you've probably said a number of times. If you don't think there's going to be demand destruction, then crude goes higher from here. I mean, that's literally how it plays out. And you're at the right inflection point to make either one of those bets. I think you know where I stand. I think higher, but it's challenged, to say the least, to have that. Yeah, but but here's the thing while I'll push back. And you've traded crude for years. You follow it much closer. I think when you think about geopolitics, you think about it sometimes in terms of commodities and how that all – you know, I think of it as just a macro asset that I've always kept up on my screens. You know what I mean? And and I have a chart here, and you and I have talked about this a little bit in the past. And this is why I think crude goes lower because I can't tell you – I mean, if the dollar stays bid here, this is going back, you know, 20 years. This is the U.S. dollar index versus crude. And just look at the points in which it converges, right? So go back to the period when you know, the dollar was surging in 08, um, you know, into early 09. You saw what happened to crude oil. Go back to the period when we were coming off zero interest rate and starting, um, you know, quantitative easing, you know, back in, you know, 13, 14, that sort of thing. Look what the Dixie did, the U.S. dollar index, and look what crude did, okay? And so here the interesting scenario was that over the last year and change, they had been going up together, dollar and crude. And look at the divergence right now. So I feel like something's got to give, guys. And and I know that a lot of people, Tom Sosnoff is going to come on tomorrow from Tasty Trade and he's going to tell me that he's been trading this longer than I've been this and that or whatever. And there's no real correlation. And that might be the case. I just look at this chart and I just remember trading those time periods and I remember how they acted. And I feel like we're in one of those periods right now. Yeah. And listen, again, opinions are, I mean, that's why we do this, you know, because sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree. But what's interesting is that's why. The conversation that we just had over the last two and a half minutes or so is why you see some violent swings, not only in crude oil, but in other things as well, because you have divergent opinions and invariably somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And that's why you get these crazy moves, both higher and lower, because people make bets based on this. So, again, I totally understand what you're saying. And quite frankly, it's playing out right before my eyes. I still see a world where there's still supply demand imbalances. And that needs to resolve itself. And maybe it will resolve itself 
on the demand side of things because clearly the supply side of things is strapped. Like that's not getting any better anytime soon. Yeah. All right. So here's another relationship that I think a lot of traders are very, um, you know, familiar with is the relationship between the dollar and gold here. And again, you know, we don't even have to talk about just look at this. Uh, This is gold futures here. And you look at the lines that we've drawn and you see that massive double top, right, going back to um, the summer of 2020 and where we just were earlier this winter. It was a safe haven asset. You know, there was a flight to quality during the Russian invasion of Ukraine here. And then we've talked about this one and I laid out a bullish trade idea, really defining your risk um, and options to that kind of 1700 level here uh, using the GLD. We talked about it last week and look for it in the market call um, Twitter feed here because uh, Amanda very nicely broke it out. But you also see that support guy. I mean, that's a really big level here. And so if the dollar is going to continue to surge, it's really hard to see this thing not actually kind of finally breaking that two year support. There's no compelling there's no compelling reason other than the support line that you drew to be bullish gold number 1. However, here's here is the rub. If the world were to get to a place where, you know, things start to unravel, credit becomes a concern in the form yeah. of the HYG, right? Credit concerns and it forces the Fed's hand or forces central banks hand to do another 180 from where they currently are. That's when gold rallies. Now, I'll tell you, I don't think it's coincidence. Again, I've said this, that Bitcoin has rallied the way it has. Again, sort of, I think, getting in front of what they hope would be a Fed that was going to be put on pause based on a softer than expected CPI. You see how quickly the wind was taken out of those sales. So all this to me, all the bets we're making and the gold specifically is predicated on what do you think this Federal Reserve is going to do? Are they going to say steadfast and try to compete? complete and slay this dragon or are they going to waver at some point and that's the pl- and that's the play it's i think it's as easy as that yeah. well i'm glad you brought up bitcoin because we have a little article from the jerk the, the bitcoin because you know like here here's this is just fascinating to me you know i follow it i'm not you know like a, i'm not like a crypto bro or anything like that i do find it interesting and in the ecosystems that have been created around it and just the kind of sentiment is very interesting but bitcoin and other cryptos fall on hot inflation report and i thought one of the pillars of bitcoin was going to be an inflation hedge so we're at these really 40-year high you know inflation levels um and the reasons that people were buying Bitcoin don't seem to be playing out. You look at this chart of the Bitcoin futures that are listed on the CME. Guy, look at that downtrend. I mean, it's to the penny, as Carter mm-hmm. would say. And look where that support is, you know, that kind of 18, I don't know, 18,800 or something like that. And then you back that thing out, you know, since the, the futures were listed on the CME back in late 2017. And you see how important a technical level this is. I mean, there's an air pocket down to 10,000. And, you know, I think you and I are both in the camp now that the idea that the Fed would pivot and really start to take their foot off a of QT or, or actually cut because they've basically hiked into a recession, that's not happening anytime soon. So to me, you know, I, that one's a bit curious here. Real quickly, let's finish off with this. Let's spend a couple minutes on this because, you know, as I look at my screens here today, the devastation is very apparent in, in high valuation stocks. And we get it, rates are surging.
hedging and what's going on with the dollar. Um, look at the NASDAQ futures here, guy. I'd call this thing, you know what I call this. I'd call this like a hungry alligator. It looks mm. like it's about to chop here. You know, 11,000, which was that low in June, seems to be in the cards. But I wanted to get your take real quickly on a couple major NASDAQ names, Microsoft in particular. It's sitting right on this uptrend. Um, and then NVIDIA, which is just a different name, but it, it encapsulates to me a different part of the sentiment that that a positive sentiment that was the nasdaq let's start with microsoft because it's the second largest name in the s p and the nasdaq here but this thing's holding on here and and i just think a retest at 240 and a break below that might really signal that we are not coming out of this thing anytime soon for you bingo players out there i'll play your reindeer games and say nice job toggling back to microsoft and I will tell you again, when Microsoft reported their quarter, now it's two or so months ago-ish, yeah. um, stock closed that day around 255. In the after hours, Dan, it was, as you know, we were talking about trading 242. It changed on a dime when the company had basically said they were not seeing demand destruction. Now, I was shocked at how high it got. It got north of 290, but in retrospect, it traded right up to the 200-day moving average and failed. So here we are. We're right back to where we were the day they reported earnings. And the trajectory was upper left, lower right. Nothing has changed in order to sort of, in my opinion, to change that trajectory. So I do think we're going to trade down to that 240 level. And in this environment, as much as it pains me to say it, Microsoft is an expensive stock on valuation. And the fact that they didn't see demand destruction, although good at the time, probably isn't a good thing going forward because I think it's just a matter of time yeah. before they see that demand destruction. All right. So when you talk about demand destruction, I mean, NVIDIA has been telling you that they are seeing mm-hmm. that very thing. They guided down, then they reported and they guided down again. Um, this was all in the last month and a half or so. The stock's down 55% of the year. It's down 60% from those highs made last year. It still has a $335 billion market cap guy. And this one really feels like you're going to have an opportunity opportunity to buy this back near those 2020, you know, mm-hmm. the lows on this chart that could be 100, 110-ish or so. And again, this stock still trades about 12 times this year's expected sales and 11 times next, you know, very expensive for that a seven- hat size. You were going to say it. You were well, gonna say but you know, listen, you, you're going to say that. I know, but you know what? Tommy hat size. I Can I tell you something? Go ahead I want to I want to put this, yeah, but not seven and three eighths. I don't think it goes to seven and three eighths. But but I will tell you this is that I want to buy this stock, yes. okay? And 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 you know I want to buy this stock. You don't want to buy it at one fifty on its way to one hundred. You don't want you know like again you know like I want to see them kitchen sink. I want to see them pre-announce again. I want to see the stock absolutely get hate sold down to 105 or something. And then you got to take a shot. The stock was 350 last year. It was nearly a trillion dollars in market cap. Great management, great products. They've been taking share. They're in all these advanced you know, technologies where they should be. I think this crypto thing is really hurting them right now. And I think if you see weakness in gaming, data center is not really falling out again. So again, you know this story really well. Curious is your thoughts here. Do I am I thinking about it right? I'm not 100%. trying to short this down to 100. No, I'd rather you, buy no, it down you, there. You're 100% right. Now's not the time to be shorting Nvidia. Now's not the time to be buying puts in Nvidia cuz vol's probably blown out, although I don't have that in front of me. The time now is to say, okay, wait a second. Where does this stock make sense? Where does it make sense fundamentally in terms of price to sales as you mentioned? Where does it make sense technically in levels that are support? And I, I'm with you 100%. And as universally loved as this stock was, when, November? So we're talking about eight or nine months, 10 months or so ago. 
That's how about to be as universally disdained this is about to get. Now you're going to start hearing more and more people talk about it's expensive correctly, by the way. And it's just a matter of time, I think, before it gets to levels that actually make sense. So you should absolutely be having a level where I don't give a shit, pardon me, what's happening in the world. The sun might be exploding, but if NVIDIA got to 110, I'm buying it regardless. That's how your mind has to work. And I think that's inevitably how this thing is going to play out. So as universally as loved as it was, you're going to start hearing those same echoes on the flip side of the coin. So I don't think people are naming their dogs NVIDIA anytime soon. No, but the one thing I'd say is that, again, you know, when it gets way, to one... a dumb name for any, you know, unless it's when like you get... a turtle, which you don't have to call. But when you get to 110, the point is you better be prepared to buy a little, right? right? You're going to dollar cost average because if you go in at a full position, you know, like one of the things, just as a stock overshot to the upside, just look at that chart. Look what happened, you know, into the end of 2021. I mean, the thing is going to overshoot to the downside a bit too, and you got to leave yourself a little room. All right. Well, we wanted to hit the NASDAQ names here. We have this arc chart. There's nothing really to say, but this is all the crap in the NASDAQ. The only thing left holding this thing up is the Tesla. Right. And that's it. That Tesla's going to, in my opinion, it's going to break. I'm positioned that way. It's been very painful. When Tesla breaks, the arc is sunk. It's over. Um, and I just think it's important to kind of take a look at some of these big names that we like a lot. We like Microsoft. We don't like the valuation. It's held up relatively well. NVIDIA, we like it. It has not held up pretty well, but there's going to be a price to buy it. The arc, there's nothing. There's very few things in there I find particularly interesting. So back to you, guy. Well, you should have said, see, and I, and I shouldn't say you should have, but you should have said there's nothing in it that you find particularly innovative. Yeah. Because isn't it called the ARC Innovation ETF? I Correct. Mean, you notice I'm a bit fired up here today. I yeah. am. I'm ornery as hell. Okay. I'm just letting people know. By the way, the Mets losing last night at home to the shouldn't happen. It can't happen when you're in a pennant race. And by the way, Met fans out there, and I know you're out there, you better hope you win the division because if you play in a playoff game and those wild card nonsense best out of three that doesn't augur particularly well the way your staff is set up but that's just me yankees still with a considerable lead in the american league east as it should be as we get to the midpoint of september but what i'll tell you dan g swizz is out g swizz is getting on a plane in a little while i'm headed to not italy but sicily you won't find me on Sicily unless you really look. I'll sort of be like Michael Corleone with the two henchmen next to my side, okay? Maybe I'll stop at a little in. Who knows? But I'm telling you, I won't be looking at the S&P. I won't be thinking about the S&P. I might be taking a P, but that's probably more information that you need. That's it for today's Market Call. I want to thank CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity, powered by Open Exchange. Like us. Leave comments, send emails to Amanda Diaz. She loves reading them. (laughs) She sends them to us. Dan will be back tomorrow with Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Tom Sosnoff of Tasty Trade. 5,000. See you, bud. Thank you.